pound per 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 pound per per pound. Six ninety nine per pound. Pound. Hey yo, it's six ninety nine per pound. Podcast. Yo, welcome to six ninety nine per pound, where we interview leaders and professionals from a wide variety of careers and lifestyles, just like the diverse food options found at a Korean-owned hot food deli. Um, you'll notice that I'm doing the intro today. You're one and only JoJo. So shout out to all of our fans and listeners that continue to support us. Make sure you subscribe and rate the podcast. Follow us at six ninety nine per pound on IG. We just hit a thousand followers, um, and we're trying to deliver on the promise that I will be wearing a bucket hat for a week. Okay, and Twitter, Facebook, don't hesitate to share the fact that you're listening to this episode on your IG story. We always love hearing from you guys. And lastly, thank you to Anchor. You can now support us monetarily by setting up a small monthly donation at Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm/slash six ninety nine per pound slash support. Um, all of this great jazz will probably be in the description, so don't worry about writing it down. So this week, before we get into the episode, you will notice that the sound is a little different this week. It might not be as clean and crisp and righteous as it usually is because we are practicing the best practice of social distancing in light of the coronavirus and doing our first ever remote podcast. So... Bear with us. We don't know how the sound will be. I'm sure the mix master Marcus will make it sound righteous, but bear with us if it gets a little funky, if it gets a little weird. Um, it's kind of the first time for us, so we're excited to see how we will unfold as this coronavirus keeps going on, and maybe it'll be a couple episodes where we have to do this remotely. So we're all in this together. Um, but without further ado, to talk about this week's guest. I'm really, really excited to have her on this episode. She is the best person to talk about this crisis right now. She's a good friend and a girl crush of mine. We unknowingly grew up in the same neighborhood, Arcadia 66 represent. For those of you who don't know, you guys probably know because I talk about it all the time, but I'm from Arcadia, aka Chinese Beverly Hills. Uh, but Ivy and I actually met as adults in NYC. She's an MBA candidate at the Columbia Business School. Her passion is U.S.-China relations, how it intersects our culture, our community. She's also founder of the Wuhan Reboot Project, where she and her friends from Hubei are aiming to educate others about Wuhan's cultural traditions through social media. I think in the corona era, it is more important to ever than have advocates like Ivy to dispel stereotypes and educate others. So without further ado, Ivy, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Hi, Jojo. I'm so glad to be here. This is so yes. fun. I'm currently from my closet, my parents' house closet, and I'm so glad we did this remotely because social distancing is so important, guys. So important. So important. Yes, I was going to say, we need to do a roll call because we're kind of all over the place right now. Um, Ivy's in the closet and her parents' house. You're very committed to the sound. I am also in front of my closet. <laughs> my boyfriend just came in here and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm recording my podcast. Get away. Um, so I'm also in my closet. And in regards to JK, um, for all we know, he's quarantining himself without somewhere with internet because he's nowhere to be found. But um, thank you for that roll call, you guys, and indulging me. I kind of wanted to do that just to see where all of us are. We're making this podcast happen. So, Ivy, 
obviously, all of us have been impacted by corona in some capacity. We just talked a little bit before the interview that we're working from home. Um, and like some people have traveled act to their actual homes just to practice more precautions, stocking up on little things like Instacarting toilet paper and some uh, dry packaged goods. Um, obviously, it has impacted us as New Yorkers. But how has it impacted you and your family? And can you tell us why it might be a little different from the average person? Yeah, I mean, the situation in Wuhan was really, really bad. I would say like the past couple of weeks. And my dad was actually here for Christmas. I was planning on um, going back to Wuhan um, early January. And yeah, because your family's from there. Right. Yeah, you're from there. there. Most of my family is still there. Some of my family members are fighting this virus in the front line. They're doctors, they're community workers, you know, taking roll calls and making sure people are okay. But like, it feels actually super personal as a result because we check in with them. And like, my dad, who was supposed to go back, was still planning on going back like a couple of days before they locked down the city. And that's when it actually hit us that this is really serious. Um, I think in Wuhan, we were all, you know, very much like where the U.S. is at right now. We're just like, this might be, you know, this is just um, flu-like symptoms, cold-like symptoms, and it will pass. It's virus, I think it really is coming in hot, and it's coming in in a really strong way, and we all have to take precautionary measures against, um, especially given that it's now in the U.S. For sure. Um, and, you know, I don't think we actually set it up but that you were born in Wuhan and you moved to America when you were nine years old to Arcadia, <laughs> our home mm-hmm. town yeah. in America. Um, and can you tell us just a little bit about that journey, about your parents um, coming here and your career and how it's been really um still all about the U.S.-China relations. You worked for Alibaba, you worked at Soho China, just, you know, how it might also strike a chord in that, like, you've always been an advocate for your, you know, culture in in different spaces and how corona might actually be impacting that even more. Yeah, so prior to um, Columbia, I worked at Alibaba Group and in the international corporate affairs function. And it's about telling Alibaba's story to a Western audience and really explaining kind of the whole ecosystem and the different business units that people might not be aware of that's part of the Alibaba kind of economy. Um, And part of the reason I loved that that role was that I was constantly traveling back to China, to the headquarter, and um, that gave me opportunity always to squeeze in a or two and fly to Wuhan to see my grandma who still lives in Wuhan and mm-hmm. also my family um, and yeah. you know, Wuhan is a really big part of my identity because um, I grew up there until I was nine and every year yeah. since then I moved, I went back to Wuhan to see my family and I still have all these like really fond memories of going to the night market eating like watermelon in like the warm summer breeze and those are like kind of the experiences that I still associate with, like I still think about because those are like just my most like, like the best days of my youth in some ways. So this like what happened in Wuhan, it's like when it happened, I mean, we're all in New York and it just felt really personal and we had to do something. Yeah. We weren't sure what we wanted to do initially because people were 
all trying to um, you know send supplies back from the U.S. face masks, and there was no shortage of that. People were all trying to chip in and helping ways that they can. Yeah, so, and when you say we, can you tell me who who that is? Uh, we so we have a group of friends that are working on the reboot project. We have mm. Laura, who's currently um, attending SCA. She is an illustrator, and she's also from Wuhan. And we've been like working on trying to design these kind of images and ethos that represent Wuhan. We were before mm. I got on the podcast, we we're talking about this like um, hand signage of like. Like that shows like a W sign, but it also it, it shows hand in hand in solidarity. And we're just like going through all these images and kind of themes of what we associate Wuhan with. We yeah. also have Jonathan, um, who's not from Wuhan, but has been super helpful in like brainstorming different ideas, um, like to think about how we could do um, rebooting like post the coronavirus. We're also um, working with the Hubei Institute of the Arts. Um, there, they've been super gracious in you know supporting us in the design aspect and just having a team, just all kind of working with us to think about what does Wuhan represent? What are some of the things that we want to bring to the world in addition to just like Wuhan and coronavirus? Like that's the only association that we're currently kind of you know learning of Wuhan, and that's also something super cool because. No one ever has been able to pronounce like Wuhan so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, and um, not everybody knows like about Wuhan. I actually think this is an incredible opportunity for the city to showcase its, you know, its foodie culture, its amazing cultural. I was um, gonna ask. Yes, yeah, because I mean, number one, the fact you know this is your hometown, right? And it might have been kind of this place where people are like, "Oh, where is that?" Or where is that in relation to a major city? Maybe not somewhere people automatically recognize where it is, right? But then you have so many like beautiful memories there. You talk about the amazing food, which I want to ask you all about. But like to have now people be like, "Oh, you're from Wuhan," right? That shift. Did you really experience that, like pre-post of people, like associating you know your hometown with something else? Is that pretty immediate to you? Totally, absolutely, and I actually found myself telling people more than ever that yeah. I'm originally from Wuhan. Um, oh, yeah, it, it actually offers a sense of like interest from the other party that gives me the opportunity to educate them about everything else that Wuhan is about. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that you know it was the epicenter of the coronavirus, and there's this like wet market that they found like numerous cases. Like it gives me the opportunity to talk about the like amazing things the city has to offer. Yeah. So I find myself talking about it so much more than before. Whereas I'm just like, um, yeah, it's um, it's in the middle of China, and we're part of the Hubei province, and it's called the Chicago of the East, which. Was like what? The- That's so cool. Yeah. Chi town. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago of the East. Um, I hope that sticks. Um, yes, Chicago of the East. Yeah. Wait, okay, so why? So obviously Chicago has like dope, dope food. It has like a lot of industry. It's um because it's just literally because it's the middle of like China and people <laughs> with Chicago. Um, yeah. Also, like so much more, like Wuhan. Geographically, it's in the central of China, but it's also um, nicknamed the uh, the city of rivers because mm-hmm. it's it's 
it is like a really important transportation hub in China because of its cent centrality, and it it um, borders um, many different provinces. And there's also like there's also like one of the largest college. It's one of the largest college towns in the world. It has more than a million higher ed students. It's you know instead of like Silicon Valley in Wuhan, we have the Optics Valley. It's a hub for high tech. Mm -hmm. Semiconductor and communications industry. Um, there's also like a huge um, automobile industry in Wuhan. So there's so much actually in terms of um, business potential for the city, and it's very yeah. kind of very appreciative for all it has to offer. And also, people forget that Wuhan is also like a huge city. It's a city of 11 mm. million people, and it's bigger than like New York. And it's That's crazy. so much um, there. It's um, there's it's like apparently, I'm not much of a music buff, but I've been talking to my friends in Wuhan. They're telling me that Wuhan is also like a punk rock. Um, wow! Like it's because it, I guess it's a it's there's a lot of young people given that it has a lot of college age students, um, mm. and there are these you know bands and punk rockers that have come out of Wuhan, and I think that's all. Also, something really incredible about, about the city. Um, it's always been a city of a bit of like rebellious vibe to it. Um, like a, mm -hmm. a, a century ago, it was the place where the Wuchang uprising happened, where like they basically took down the last imperial dynasty of China, the Qing dynasty, and like it happened. Yeah, there, there are also yeah. a lot of different artists and musicians that have some of their formative years um, in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. um, one of the artists that um, we should all follow, he's incredible. Um, he made this um, he made this kind of uh, theme of the great criticism and mm. it's basically um, juxtaposing like all the Western advertising with like the images of the Cultural Revolution and Wang Guangyi is his name. He's like China's one of the first political pop artist and you know he he created that body of work when he was at Wuhan there's something about the city that just invites and also kind of inspires um the avant-garde types because Wuhanese are like seen as super feisty when Ooh. we want to we love our spicy food and mm -hmm. we are vivacious and social people but we can be like pretty hardcore we want to hardcore mm, nah. yeah. Ivy you're not hardcore at all so I don't know where that came from <laughs> that's amazing and what are I mean I'm really curious about like number one I think it's so cool that there's so many young people there um, I feel like in the U.S. maybe there's a lot of misconceptions about Wuhan right now just because they're just only seeing stats and just like the shops that are closed down. They're not seeing the city when it's the most alive. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the misconceptions that you want to dispel about this city? Yeah, I mean, the the whole bat soup thing, it's like aggravating on so many different levels. Can but, you explain it, by the way, for people who may not heard? So there was this um, news story that came out that, you know, the, mm -hmm. the reason for the coronavirus that, mm -hmm. um, that broke in Wuhan was that people were eating bats. Um, mm. And, um, and it, it turned out that the image and the video that was shared wasn't even from Wuhan. It was, mm. um, it was a travel host that was um, eating a delicacy in the Pacific Islands. 
of mm. power. Um, so it wasn't even about Wuhan, but people just like immediately took that association and blew it out of proportion. Yeah. I think this underlying um, stigmatized notion that, you know, Asian people just eat um, weird things. Um, yeah. But I think it's also deeper than that. But I could tell you as a Wuhanese that I've never, ever even seen a bat or been offered a bat um, in Wuhan because we're really mm-hmm. consuming all the other delicious Wuhanese cuisines that the city yeah. has. Yeah. So, can you name some of them too? Yeah. So, like, Wuhan has this huge um, breakfast culture. Um, so, it's called Huo Zao, which mm. from the Wuhan dialect actually directly translates to live the morning. So, you mm. start the morning. Um, at these breakfast stalls that they open super early, as early as like 6 a.m. in the morning. And we just eat a lot of noodles, like hot dry noodle, spicy beef soup or chili, fried scallion donut, like braised bean curd medley, sticky rice. Um, All these things that like you could only get in Wuhan. And when you talk to Wuhanese, they all have their favorite food and their like favorite hot dry noodle soup shop that's like right there in their neighborhood it's a very yeah. intimate and it's part of everyday life in wuhan um so that is like always my favorite thing when i go back mm-hmm. um and we also there's also this like big um barbecue skewer culture very much like in korean culture but we like yeah. to eat it like midnight like mm. back <laughs> we just like sit at these like the alleys and there's there's like an auntie just cooking up the skewers and sometimes it's like this like really like like all these um the vendors and that it's flavored with cumin and other spices and it's yeah it's not about the meat it's like usually in not like in chunky meat but it's just a little bit of meat but it's about the spices and just tasting the goodness Mm. oh that sounds so good they need to bring some of it in new york like a (laughs) pop-up that would be amazing working on it that would be amazing yeah yeah well i mean i can you know as your friend too and as a follower of instagram um i've been seeing you post like more images about in Wuhan too like oh this is like my favorite bridge like these are um all these little pieces of you that you want the other people to know to dispel any of these additional bad um, stereotypes because I totally remember now like about the bat thing like Fox News the anchor was like maybe these people should stop eating wild animals and it, there's such inherent racism there mm-hmm. um, and this whole beautiful city is just kind of and the people there are kind of being dehumanized into just like this disease um, I think that really would make um, anyone from there who've had such great experiences there really angry and you talked about how, you know, you, you're one of the founders of this reboot project, but you're not a one-man band. Like, you have a group of people that are working together for this. I was just curious, like, how did you guys even meet? And was this uh, reboot project uh, the reason why you guys started uh, talking more? Um, was, did it start on group chat? Like, how did mm-hmm. this really start? Can you take our audience to that moment when you guys were like, wait, we need to do something? Yeah. Um, so my first and foremost, like, person who, um, up as part of the Reboot Project, that was super, super helpful. And one of the key 
um, still like one of my favorite people um, and also so key in getting this started is my friend Mia. Mm-hmm. Um, Mia, um, Mia is someone that I met at Columbia um, and she is, um, so she spent some years in Wuhan as well, very much like me. And when the association of Wuhan coronavirus first kind of start, started trending in the media, I was talking to her and she's actually stuck in Shanghai at the moment in quarantine at that time. And mm. I, I was just like, this is not okay. Like we need to do something. And I don't want to um, make it into a very political statement. There's like not a part of me wants to um, to politicize this effort, but we just have to do something. And Mia um, really worked in the art space for a really long time. So we talked about tackling this from more of a cultural artistic lens and how can we bring out the beauty and authenticity of Wuhan without politicizing the whole issue. And um, yeah. love that idea from the beginning. So she um, linked me up with some of the artist friends that he knows. And one of them, um, his name is Kuming. And he is a curator and artist based in Wuhan. So he was super energetic and enthusiastic and pulled together a group of people. And we were doing this on WeChat in groups. And then he just pulled in all these different people that were designers, they were artists um, and his friends. And we were brainstorming on how do we bring the people together? Um, yeah. We started with a very simple idea. I wanted to do, I wanted to record a video where people just from all over the world said, Wuhan, you can do it as a form of encouragement. And we were quickly able to get um, all these videos from people in New York, in Japan, in Korea, like everywhere. Yeah. And then we made a video, like a coming guy, one of his um, um, students, to edit the video, which came out beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a collective effort. And that, after the video, we were, you know, talking again, like we were just thinking, but there's got to be also something more tangible and more actionable so that after the fact, where the city has been on lockdown for more than 40 days, um, what are some of the things we can do to really thinking about healing and rebuilding of the economy, of the city, of the people, and how they feel about this whole thing? So that's when the reboot kind of move into its second phase, which is where we are right now. Um, we're trying to figure out ways to, um, number one, to really build awareness around the reboot. And it's also become something... I feel like a little bit bigger than what we envision it to be, given that it's now in New York and mm-hmm. the issue is much more nuanced than the issue of Wuhan. The Wuhan yeah. is really now a symbol of how a virus became more than a symptom of the body. It's mm-hmm. it's a symbol of like where it all kind of began, but escalated into all different forms. So we're now thinking about how can we use this opportunity to also realign how Asians are seen and heard you know, in America and also across the world, because Wuhan is now some almost synonymous with Asian and Asians now synonymous with the coronavirus, given some of the media um, kind of messages that's been perpetuated. And we're thinking more creatively on how to realign all of that under kind of this umbrella of the reboot. Yeah, I love what you just said about how it's more than just a symptom of the body. 
because you're totally right. It, it's just seeping into, um, you know, our mental state, um, just like the hysteria that is going on. You can see it in the Trader Joe's and in the empty shelves. Um, mm-hmm. But even some of the videos that's been going on about, um, you know, Asian Americans or Asian people around the world, like, you know, getting harassed or beat up. Um, my mom called me the other day and she said, I know I told you to wear a mask, but, you know, maybe you shouldn't wear it because that's going to make you a target. Um, it's just been a lot more than just, you know, a virus, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of revealed kind of the ugliest parts of ourselves. And I really, so I know you were written about in the South China Morning Post. Um, I really love that article. And I think that kind of started us talking about you being on the podcast. And you had this great quote that said, um, in a couple months, the virus will not be the issue, but the virus in our minds and our impressions will be more lasting and potentially more hurtful. Mm-hmm. And that was just that. really powerful to me. Huh? And I stand by that. I think it's, yeah. we're living through that right now. And it hasn't been a couple mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Um, I would love for you to just expand more upon what you meant, um, even building off examples that we discussed, but just the racism that you're witnessing, maybe some things you've experienced um, mm-hmm. or your friends have experienced and, you know, why that's motivating you even more. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all, as Asian Americans, like we've all heard stories of our friends or just reading about Asians, you know, getting either a side eye for wearing the mask or even more, you know, aggressive behaviors. Um, on yes. the and I, I think the issue of wearing masks, it's, it's also, it's also just how it's underlying, it's kind of showing the underlying of deeper issues. Um, but I, I just want to like talk about masks for a quick sec, because like in yes. papers, masks are ways people protect themselves because mm-hmm. we live in densely populated cities. You know, people wear masks when they're, you know, when they're a bit sick or they didn't wear their makeup or just like inspired by all the cute K-pop stars that just wear masks because it's, it's cool. So we've been socialized into totally masks yeah. not, um, they're just not the issue. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in Western cultures, um, people associate masks with sickness and hospital personnel. And that kind of embedded association have really kind of caused a lot of social tensions that we're seeing right now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also the case that masks can be really helpful in preventing or slowing down the transmission of these, what we know, um, coronavirus to be these droplets, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, I still think that like mass, it's not necessarily the issue, but it's really the perfect time for us to practice empathy and to be mm-hmm. accepting of other people's personal freedom when they choose to wear masks. Um, and that's, and that's that, that's that. Like if somebody yeah. wants to wear a mask because they, they feel protected and, you know, also scientifically, it, it does show that it, it protects because at the end of the day, sometimes you're just not as fast as your cough or sneeze and you need something mm-hmm. that locks it off. And I think that's the purpose of a mask. And I think we have to, more importantly than ever, to practice empathy and accepting that, you know, when what makes other people feel more safe and protected, and we, we have to respect that. Um, and they're just like, I, I mean, mass at the end of the day, it, it does generate the sense of closing off and distance, 
it's I think it's like the equivalent of communicating but without looking into someone's eyes when you're talking to them. Yeah. But mm -hmm. we're also in an unprecedented time in history where, you know, it's about preventing the coronavirus from spreading even further and to flatten the per curve, as they say. So, you know, if there's one thing we could do, if wearing a mask can help with that, then we should just accept that and respect that. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I mean, I know like the jig is up or just there's a lot of contested theories about masks. And it's very, it's striking to me because, because we're, you know, you and I kind of immigrated here around the same time. And I think we have equal parts like amazing friends and family and back um, in our motherlands and here. And when I'm talking to my family and, and friends in Korea mm -hmm. and they're doctors and they're educated and they're like, yeah, wear a mask. <laughs> You know, there's and they're coming up with apps that make sure apps are available to everyone, even like the vulnerable um, elderly who can't travel as far. There's drive-through um, testing centers, and um, but here it's like you're kind of, you know, even I experienced it with some of my close friends. Like you're looked down upon. It's like, oh, you believe that, or oh, I can't believe you're feeding into it. Um, meanwhile, we know it's not the reality because when I go to Home Depot, all the N95 is sold out. And I'm like, okay, well, someone's believing this. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it is really interesting because, um, you know, there was like a brief argument that um, actually my boyfriend and his mom had, his mom's Chinese, and she was very passionate about like, hey, like if you can, like please wear a mask when you go out. And he's very much um, plugged into like kind of the World Health Organization, the CDC, and he kind of takes um, their lead. And he was like, mom, you're just like feeding into this like propaganda. It's not true. Mm -hmm. um, but then she was just like, you're feeding into this propaganda. You know, you're feeding into what the Western world is promoting. Um, when you look at China and South Korea, where um, the cases and the peaks have really like dramatically gone down. Like this is what the precautions that they're taking. Like, can't you see the correlation? So I also think that's like really interesting, the ideological differences and, you know, what we think is propaganda versus what people back at home. And I feel like the mask has actually been the most like polarizing topic for like the coronavirus issue. So I'm really glad that you pointed out that it's people's freedoms, like whether you believe it or not, like who are you to say that, you know, that you shouldn't wear one or you should wear one, you know, it should be a personal choice and like how you feel best protected. I totally- I'm really glad you brought that up. I totally um, agree. Yeah. I think you're so right about this being a very polarizing um, item du jour mm -hmm. where you know people have different feelings about it um but in china i know for a fact that they really do encourage wearing masks i mean you know she mm -hmm. will visit wuhan you know wearing a mask and then really making a point like all the press conferences um that happen um uh, when they're you know talking about the coronavirus situation just like in general they're all wearing a mask while they're you know giving q a to the reporters i think it's quite a statement um, that this is something that can be um, helpful in preventing further spread. But given that, you know, China is also densely populated, there are large cities, people live in close quarters. But then that's not much different from New York City. Just mm -hmm. putting it there. Um, so I, I do, but I do agree that, you know, masks are personal freedom and it's about 
be empathetic and if people do wear it you know just there's no need to be like mean about it mm-hmm. yeah for sure and i also want to spend some time like talking about the how a lot of the stats these days in the news are maybe not filled with like the nuance like you mentioned and um, the context and that um, the cases are much higher the confirmed cases are much higher in countries like South Korea and China. But I mean, one thing that I think majority of the people don't understand is that it's because the test kits and the access to t- these tests are more readily available versus in the U.S. Uh, do you have anything to say about that, too, about how these misconceptions are kind of fueled by the lack of context? I think the U.S. is really only beginning to realize the seriousness of COVID-19. Yeah. Um, whereas in Asia, I mean, South Korea has done a tremendous job testing citizens. I mean, they the, the level of testing that's happening, I think I was reading like 20,000 a day versus mm. I think 2,000 in the U.S. Um, so yeah. far, but we, we should check that number. Um, but it's yeah. <laughs> prioritizing early detection and also you know, encouraging people to practice social distancing. And in South Korea, there's also information transparency, which is also really, really important. Um, like Taiwan also done has done a really great job. They were yeah. very early and prevention-minded. You know, they placed travel bans really early on, and they had a command center in place before Wuhan locked down the city on January 23rd. So I think like all these cities in Asia, they are responding to this in a very, um, in a way that like shows urgency. Whereas mm-hmm. in the US, I think, you know, we, because we do prioritize personal choice and freedom, um, you know, you could be suggesting quarantine and you, it's voluntary, um, you know, it's practicing social distancing. But I, I think like in the case of how things have um, just happened in the past month and a half in Asia, it does like we, we do need to take it seriously now. And it's about it's about caring for ourselves, but also for people who might be more susceptible when we're practicing social distancing. Um, we are giving other people a choice to not be you know, the at risk individuals to be close in contact with people who might have coronavirus, but still might be asymptomatic for 14 days. Like there's a lot of nuance in that. And it's not as simple a narrative that this is only cold and flu-like symptoms. And if you don't fall into five categories of at-risk individuals uh, with pre-existing conditions, then you are probably fine. Yes, that's probably right. But it's also a probability game. We have to... yeah lay it to our advantage that like let's lower that probability and flatten the curve and we all need to pitch in and be part of that solution i totally agree um and i think one of the things that my uh, friend mentioned was uh, he was listening to the joe rogan podcast um and he had um an expert of the coronavirus on the line. And he was like, if, I, if you're a virus, you want to be the coronavirus. And the one that makes it so distinctive is not just like, you know, not really like the deadliness or anything. It's still the, the percentage of like the fatalities aren't 
as severe as some of the past viruses, but the fact that it can, um, it's there, you don't display symptoms right away, and that incubation period can be a lot longer. Um, it helps you kind of pass on from time to time. You tend to be a secret agent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one illuminating thing that I think a lot of people didn't understand the severity of in the U.S. And before we um, got on the call, um, our amazing producer, Michael, he, on on this email chain, sent us this video, the lockdown one month in Wuhan. I think everyone should watch this video, by the way. Uh, it's on YouTube. We can link it on the description. But basically recounts the, the, the lockdown um, in the city of 11 million people, as you mentioned, Ivy, and how the, the measures that the government and the public were taking to fight the virus and how um, I think maybe in Western culture or like in the U.S., like we didn't really get a peek inside how much, how, what all the efforts that were going in to fight this Um we were kind of saying, oh, like they were trying to like push it under the rug or they weren't doing enough. But when I watched this documentary, I think especially the volunteers, and I would love for you to talk about your auntie too, the, how they all banded together to respond to this so quickly was super inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wrote, when you e- uh, emailed back, you're like, I'm going to cry. I can't watch this and not cry. Um, so I would love for you to talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I think in, I think this is something that China you have to give it credit for for like how fast things yeah. um, happen when they realize that it needs to happen like China's mm-hmm. is no joke um, so on January twentieth that was when it was determined and announced that the virus can be transmitted people to people and mm. on January twenty third Wuhan locked down the city cut off all transportation. Um, in and out of the city, everything is halted, and everybody mm-hmm. had were like everybody has to be in quarantine, like as in in self isolation in their own homes. Um, and this mm-hmm. was during the Chinese New Year's holiday, where like there is a lot of traveling going on, where people you know that work in Wuhan or go to school in Wuhan are back in their home yeah. city. And Wuhan is also a major transportation hub, as I mentioned before. So there was a lot of activities. But it was determined that on the 23rd, the city will be in lockdown mode. Um, And, you know, it's this kind of speed in which things happened. I think it's quite incredible. And the immediate mobilization um, that the government, despite experiencing initial missteps and making the mistakes and leading to delays. But once there was consensus that this was a serious epidemic, uh, we all have to link in. You know, people started acting. Um, a lot of um, medical personnel, like, volunteered and wanted to be part of this effort. And they all went to Wuhan and, and um, cities in Hubei province. Um, and, and all the different cities in China, they were assigned to a city in the Hubei province, and they took responsible for um, for the cases. So they sent um, medical personnel, government officials, and just mobilized around that effort. Um, they built an infectious hospital um, in 10 days, and there were thousands That's of people crazy. in the process. Um, and the coordination and the commitment during that process, it's pretty incredible. Like we could say all kinds of things about how the government responded to it, and there, you know, everybody has a different opinion about that. 
but the speed in which it happened and some of the volunteer um, on the ground that was happening, it's incredible. One of such volunteer groups that I'm in really close contact with is um, called the Angel Squad. So there are a bunch mm -hmm. of girls um, and women that were volunteering their time and to deliver supplies. And what's really interesting about this group of organizers is that they were part of this like coalition of female rappers. Called, oh, wow. Um, they're called like the Chinese um, translation to English. It's the Maverick um, mm -hmm. girl. And they're so cool. They're just a bunch of rappers. And um, they just like mobilized immediately when they saw what was happening. They started um, shipping and transporting supplies to different hospitals and to the communities. And when they saw a need that you know, people were not delivered hot meals, like all these elderly um, you know, uh, uh, grandmas and grandpas in their homes didn't have access to like hot meals because mm -hmm. they didn't have a lot of access in the initial stages, like access to fresh produce. They, they started a volunteer kitchen where they were making and delivering hot meals to medical personnel and also these like older folks that were in their homes, stuck in their homes. And it was just so incredible because it was, wow. it was just something that decided that this needed to be done. And mm -hmm. when they thought, when they had people reaching out to them that, you know, they felt isolated and lonely, they gathered a group of um, kind of counselors and psychiatrists, and they just had these like WeChat groups and they were just trying to bring comfort to the people that, you know, cabin fever to the max for like the past mm -hmm. four years. So it's, it's incredible what was happening on the ground. And I think that's the human side of things that people don't really talk about in the media. Yeah. We always just want to focus on the fear and the severity of what was happening in a very far away place. But we also miss all these like touching stories that shows how we're all in this together. And we're really, truly all in this together. Yeah. And you were saying that your auntie sends you a picture every day um, to your families, right? Um, she's the volunteer. So she is actually a social worker. She oh, works yeah. with a government official and mm. all the government officials um, in Wuhan have been mobilized to work in the community setting. Mm -hmm. So she she works in the community where she, you know, knocks on doors and makes sure that, you know, people are not showing symptoms of fevers and they're doing all right. They have enough food. Um, they, because the government has now started delivering fresh produce to all the different um, communities. Wow, the province. Um, yeah, so it's so she's been on the ground, just like you know, wearing her mask and her gear. And every morning, she actually sends a selfie in our family chat. She's like, mm -hmm. "Another day," and I'm like, Aww. "Out there," and it's just every single time. We see that we're just like, we feel so powerless, yet we're so proud of her. Um, yeah. we, and you know, she said that herself. She's like, I would be really mad at myself if I felt like I was powerless. I didn't do anything during this situation. Mm -hmm. And we're so proud of her. Like she's out there. She's just like trying to help and, and like taking down the information of people who, you know, in her jurisdiction and super proud of her. And I think there are like thousands of people just like her in the Hubei province, you know, trying to contribute. They're 
their little to help to help people. Yeah. No, that's so awesome. And I, I really wish some of that spirit was here because I feel like right now, I maybe it's phase one, but it's kind of like every man for himself. Like all the shelves are missing of groceries. And um, there was actually this meme going around about, um, you know, kind of scolding young people to be like, hey, like think about the most vulnerable population. And, you know, mm-hmm. if they went to Trader Joe's after you and they're left with scraps, like what are they supposed to do, right? Um, so it's so amazing that, these kind of local heroes are moving things along. And honestly, that includes you, Ivy. And I think you're the first person that I ever talked to that actually went to do something about this that said, we need to support. And I was like, I don't even know where to start. And you really helped me understand something that, you know, any one person can do to help. And I would love for you to enlighten our listeners of like, if you want to do something, if you want to help, here are some of the ways Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we're still all just also trying to figure this out. I think it's a yeah. story. Like, you know, a month ago when I started this, there were no cases. Well, there, I think there was a case in LA, but like in New York, we felt we were invincible. Like this, this is mm-hmm. like a story like from China. Like it has yeah. nothing to do with us. Um, but now it's intimately relevant to us. And I think the story is um, quickly evolving and and you know, given that everything that we've seen, um, just with the Asian American community in in New York, like let's not even like you know expand it beyond that. Like there's just so much happening, and this is the chance where we come together. And the way that I thought about starting to do this, and I really had no idea. I've never I've never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with one kind of insight: is that I need people who feel just as passionate about this to come yeah. along with me. And I started to talking, like started talking to my friends who are in Wuhan, friends who I know that they care about um, the situation um, in China. And we just kind of huddled and we traded ideas. We, um, we kind of thought through what are some of the talent and assets that we needed. We needed like talented designers who could help us really tell the story through images. We needed um, people to support. We wanted to do brand partnership because we want to make it into a movement um, instead mm-hmm. of something that is a fundraising for resources, which yeah. I think China has less of a need for actually at this um, kind of time, time already mm, uh, yeah. happened um, mm-hmm. for, for a while. So we just kind of, it started with the people and then it's like distilling, like what are the specifics, having a timeline and having goals that we will hit at every step along the way. And then also allowing um, for surprises and new ideas to percolate into the process. So, you know, we, we don't have everything set in stone. We eventually want to do a public health and hygiene campaign in Wuhan after the crisis. Mm-hmm planning for that we're talking to foundation like we're doing all of that in the background but i know that we also have to prioritize right now it's a time to build awareness because the reboot it's about wuhan but it's about rebooting all of our awarenesses to what this disease can potentially impact us on so we have to all come together it's about building a community around that first and then mm-hmm. i just feel like we'll probably come through so that's my very optimistic take on this. Yeah, 
No, I'm so excited to see how the Wuhan Reboot Project is going to just grow and flourish. I know you have um, amazing ideas in the works. Like, are there some, so you've named a couple of them, but do you, can you give us insight to any that might be hitting New York City very soon or on social? Yeah, so one of the um, campaigns I will start kind of working on is showcasing the ordinary heroes mm-hmm. um, during the coronavirus outbreak. Um, it's about telling stories like the Angel Squad and the Maverick Girls and the things that they've done. And to tell these very human stories of what happened in Wuhan. And we're also designing um, a bunch of different things that showcase like the foodie culture of Wuhan and also just like what the ethos of the city is. We're still working on that. We have some really talented um, designers that we're working with. Shout out to Flora, who's been on mm-hmm. this process. Um, and we just want to kind of distill that essence of the city and use this opportunity where people actually can pronounce Wuhan so perfectly and to mm-hmm. show everything the city has to offer. And that builds the foundation for when Wuhan is coronavirus free. Like, I will want to invite all my friends and everybody who's listening to like come to Wuhan and just like eat hot dry noodles and see what the city has to offer and you know also do all of the internal rebuilding and the healing that needs to happen in Wuhan. I have very ambitious goals and I just want to take things one step at a time but right now we're working just with the designers and we're trying to maybe like do a t-shirt or something but that's in the world. We'll keep you guys posted. Yes, please. I would love to rock that. And please count me in in the Wuhan uh, trip because I am dying to try the breakfast items that you mentioned and just to, you know, go to the punk rock concerts. Uh, I'm so happy that you really enlightened us. Um, I knew from the moment when we talked about this that I wanted our listeners to have an insight on it as well. So thank you so much for covering so much ground with us um, in your closet, as am I. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but... Thank you so much. And before we wrap up, I wanted to um, ask a question that we ask all of our guests so they can get to know you a little bit better. Um, What would you say is the most significant relationship in your life? Mm, I would say it's my relationship with my son, Aiden, who's a Virgo. Um, Mm -hmm. He is like a Virgo. (laughs) Very important. Very important because he's like completely opposite from me, who is an Aries. Um, but he's mm. talking so much about patience, responsibility, and love in general. And through him, I see, um, I, I, like, honestly, I probably learn more from him than I could teach him. And he showed me the importance of curiosity and empathy. I remember mm-hmm. there was a case where, you know, they were going through this part in school about the importance of empathy and he was explaining to me what empathy was um and wow. it, it's con- it's a constant um just like exchange that like gives me so much life and gives me so much insight into how i should reflect and reconnect with myself so my relationship mm-hmm. with my son aiden is the most important relationship yeah, yeah. and has aiden ever been to wuhan because i know he's pretty young um, he has. So he started going back um, two years ago, and my mm. in-laws still live in Wuhan, and he loves going back. And I think this year we will still try to go back if things, um, you know, 
things quiet down a bit in the summertime. But he spent his summer there.、Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like he learned so much from his like neighbors, and he he just has a great time in Wuhan eating all the food. Oh, that's so cute.、Um, yeah, if you guys follow Ivy on Instagram, you're definitely gonna see some Aiden content, which I live for. <laughs> um, and lastly, what would you say is your personal mantra? My personal mantra is that more more important than ever, that love is contagious, and so is kindness. There's really no better、mm-hmm. time to practice empathy, either toward like our own like Asians or like everybody else. Like we、mm-hmm. just know that love and kindness they're contagious. Contagious. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful.、Ah! <laughs> I see what you did there too. <laughs>、um, yeah, thank you so much, Ivy, for coming onto the show and for followers who would love to learn more about the Wuhan project. Where can they find you guys? Please follow us at Wuhan underscore. You can do it. We'd love to have you. Awesome! Awesome!、Uh, I'm waiting for those T-shirts. I'm going to be keeping an eye out. And thank you so much for this conversation and enlightening us. And who knows? As you know, this case gets a little out of hand. Maybe we'll have you back to have more of your expertise. We would love that. And let's like get our cloud dinner scheduled.、This、yes, please. <laughs> yes, <laughs> our, our listeners are invited too. <laughs> It will be a Q and A mukbang situation. That's right. Thanks,、awesome. Jojo. Thank you. Well, thank you guys all for listening.、Um, as always,、uh, we had the amazing, amazing ideaing on the show.、Um, please check out some of the resources that we mentioned. We'll have it in the description. You can stream this podcast on all major streaming platforms.、Um, make sure you hit subscribe and be the first to know when a new episode is released. Follow us at six nine nine per pound on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for the latest. And thank you, lastly, to Anchor. You can now support us monetarily by setting up a small monthly donation. Alrighty, well, peace, stay safe, and wash your hands. Practice social distancing and stay healthy. Yay! Yay! Hey yo, it's six nine nine per pound. Podcast.